We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Football Report. Here as always with my co-host Hassan Rahim. Hassan, how's it going? You know, living living the dream. Super excited for a guest here, man. Like, uh, really happy to have you back on on the repo. Yes, he needs no introduction. Uh, you know him from stealing signals, from chasing ships, from stealing bananas, <laughs> from everything. Chasing ships. Ben Gretsch, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Uh, Stealing bananas listeners will know that 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 Seagull's on on vacay right now. So we've been doing the Sunday night shows. I I figured when Hassan asked, I might as well pop in and chat with you guys. Although you guys have the the worst time slot, I gotta say, <laughs> right right in the middle of, of the first half of Sunday night football. Nobody really wants to watch it. They'd rather have yeah. it with us. Yeah, yeah. The Dolphins and Eagles, not a big game. <laughs> yeah, this the last few weeks we've had we've had no issue issue with guests because like the Giants were always on Sunday night football. Yeah. The guests perfect. were like, hell yeah, we're in. Uh this week was a tough tough sell. So we really appreciate you joining us here. Yeah, you asked if I was watching the game and and I do have it on on the side. So I'm just gonna, you know, the, the, the whole time we talk, just be watching the game over here and I, I zone out. I don't know why. It's those Kelly Green, it's those Kelly Green Eagles unis, man. They're nice. Like they are eye catching. I dude, I hate that they're wearing them in a matchup with the Dolphins. Like I thought the Bucks unis against the Lions was cool. The Lions have the the all white and silvers. Yeah, which uh, looks a lot like exactly like their away jerseys in in Tecmo Super Bowl. Like for anyone who played <laughs> the other games when when the uh, the orange creamsicle jerseys existed, the the Eagles. I mean, the, the Dolphins teal have always had teal uniforms, but yeah. I don't know, I man. Like you, you'd like it them playing against something that's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing than these teal pants. Like you know, I <laughs> like play. Should be wearing these when they play the Giants or something. You know, or you know, get get something going. I don't. I don't love the the color matchup here. I, I thought the Bucks Lions one was much better. That was. I mean, yeah. But like the the, the creamsicle outfit is just all, like the Bucks had to bring that back because that's kind of probably why they 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 lost today. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't rocking it. They lost <laughs> Arthur Smith. Good God, I root against Arthur Smith every game, and and he keeps winning by three points or less against bad teams. It's great. 
we can we can actually probably talk about that like first, right? Because like, so like uh, the big the big surprise here obviously was Bijan Robinson one rush for three yards and the Falcons his win, right? This his lone carry came uh, late in the fourth quarter, and then after the game, like they they, they told like the Falcons told the reporters that he had a headache and limited his availability. Apparently, he had a migraine, and and Arthur Smith is saying, "Oh, we're gonna get you right for the next game, right?" But like. It doesn't explain to me, or at least I don't understand why, if he had this migraine, why was Bijan Robinson bass blocking? Why was he on bass blocking downs? I don't know. The headache thing, uh, I mean, I was giving Arthur Smith a hard time on Twitter. The headache thing is interesting, uh, certainly uh, relative to my initial response and and hearing Bijan um, – Basically, sound like he appreciated having the time off, but like he said, then this is this is why the initial reaction, you know, was what it was for me on Twitter and, and for a lot of people. Like, why are they playing him even in limited? It's it's incredibly hard to understand. Um, the the rumor with Arthur Smith has always been that his guys like him, and I mean, it's quite possible that it's, it's stuff like this where. He really doesn't care about the injury reporting or how it comes across. He really doesn't care about communicating it to anyone outside the building. He really doesn't care about the fact that, you know, Bijan, like, probably maybe was good enough to play, but they wanted to hold him back, but then they just used him a little bit. I mean, it's just like the whole thing about the usage doesn't make sense unless it, like, truly is what Bijan wanted. And I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. The whole, the whole situation is weird. The, the reality with Arthur Smith, though, is, I mean, this isn't the, I mean, yeah, anyway, it can be spun around as sort of a positive for him from a from a player's coach perspective, but this isn't the first time, obviously, that he's done things very different than any other coach in NFL. Like, this is a type of thing that, like, no other coach does this, right? Like, and you see a lot of responses that are, you know, on Twitter and other places that are like, oh, you know, why is this so bad or this, that, and the other thing. But this is – it's very unique <laughs> whenever, whenever these kinds of Arthur Smith things have popped up. The, the bizarre usage with multiple top 10 picks now. Um, and, I mean, he's still doing it with Kyle Pitts. He's still, you know, there's still stuff going on with Drake London at times. It's just, it, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with Arthur Smith. The, the, the other elements of it, obviously, of his whole uh, background, you know, comes from trust fund kid, comes from, you know, a, a really rich uh, background and kind of acts like it, acts like it with the media. Like he doesn't care what people's perspectives are. Doesn't want to leave. Like somebody responded to me today on Twitter. I don't know if you ever listened to his his uh, press conferences, but he never lets a, a reporter finish a question. He's always like cutting them off before they even finish. He's constantly talking to them like they're idiots. And then he, you know, also you got um, the stuff with it, like he, multiple times last year and now this year that he you know doesn't care about fantasy football and the fantasy football community takes shots at at all the stuff that we do. Uh, but yeah, he just seems like a guy that thinks he's like the smartest dude in the world, but he's, you know, not, he's just a very <laughs> boring, typical white dude that, <laughs> you know, he's very grew rich, up, uh, grew up rich and, and people think he's smarter than he is. Cause he's confident and thinks he's smart. And anyway, it's funny because if he were doing like a lot of this kind of contrarian stuff, but still, you know, at least putting London and Pitts in the game in a way that would help our fantasy teams, then we'd probably have a much different perspective on that kind of behavior. Right. I mean, yes and no, the, there's a, there's an element to some of the things he does. See, part of the reason that I'm, I get annoyed is that some of the stuff he does is different contrarian, whatever people do 
defend him and they're like, you just don't really understand. You don't, you're just kind of misunderstood. And there's a lot of people that are breaking, you know, breaking down different stuff that he does offensively that's unique. And I'm sure there's things that he adds to stuff. I had somebody in my mentions today talking about how good he was in Tennessee. I mean, the, the thing with Tennessee, and I went back and looked at it in my reply to him because I've, I've said this before, I've looked it up before, but he started as a quality, quality control assistant. He became a tight ends coach for a lot of years. And then he was their OC for two years after Matt LaFleur got a head coaching job in Green Bay. He didn't install a whole new offense. They did an internal hire, and he just continued what they were already doing. I'm sure he added his own elements. The offense got a little better statistically at the same time as Derrick Henry was hitting his best season. So you also have that element. I do think Arthur Smith designs a good run game. But this idea that he was like some whiz kid in Tennessee is not really valid. I mean, he was just this internal hire. He had been there for like 10 years. And they promoted him after Matt LaFleur got a head coaching job. And then he gets a head coaching job after a couple decent years of coordinating Tennessee. And he hasn't really done anything in, in Atlanta. He's been 7-10 and 10 for two years. He's now 4-3 and three this year. Ton of one-score wins. I yeah. swear to God, this guy is just like the king of high variance. People say that he's like overachieving because they've had low expectations. He's also playing in a historically bad division the last couple of years. They've just yeah. been trash. This division sucks. This, this, their schedule, like every week the Falcons play the worst teams in the league. Like just waiting for Arthur Smith to get exposed, but he he's can't he's playing teams that can't expose him. So we're just we're getting the same stuff where everyone's like, oh, they keep winning. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they keep winning 16-13 like they did today. Their other two wins or two of their other three wins were by one and two points against, you know, uh, I can't remember who, whoever, you know, average teams. Uh, one was the Texans. One I I can't remember the other. One. Anyway, they they beat the they beat the Panthers. They beat the Packers. They the beat Packers the was the one was the other really close game. Yeah, they beat the Panthers yeah. by a decent margin in Week One. But other than that, it's been these close wins. That's if you go look at last year, they were seven and ten. I think at least five of those wins were four points or less. I can't remember the exact stat. They were five and ten, and then they won two games at the end of the at the end of the year that, you know, their opponents weren't even trying in. They played a non-Kyler Murray Arizona team and then a, a Bucks team that had already clinched their playoff spot and took Brady out. They used three different quarterbacks in the game. And, and so they got from 5-10 and 10 back to 7-10. and 10. The point is, his results are not good, but people keep saying that they are because they've been, like, slightly better than they, you know, should have been or were expected to be. Um, he's just, I mean, he's mediocre. I don't – your point the, your point about the contrarian thing is, uh, is noted – and I had somebody mention Bill Belichick to me as well when I was talking about the press conference stuff and how he's like rude to reporters and all that. But Belichick won. Like the difference is that when Belichick did things, however he did them, yeah, they like it, it did annoy a lot of people in the fantasy industry too when like we never knew who was going to play at running back and stuff. But he won games, right? Like you, you when you're that successful, what you're doing is okay. Like part of my whole issue with Arthur Smith is the decisions he makes. Are not and they're not going to consistently win games, but he's been the product of you know some variance and some positive. I mean, I don't know. He's been my whole point is he's been mediocre and and could have been worse. Basically, he's been playing to be mediocre and he's run hot to be mediocre, and that's where we're at with this guy. I mean, Arthur Smith was at Tennessee when AJ Brown was there too, right? Like it's not. Yes, they it's were like not, that's like the best version of their team. Yeah, yeah, like it's not like like what like when Hen- like that's. He's trying to recreate that exact offense, right, with the Falcons. And the difference is when you have Henry, who's at the top of his game, and A.J. Brown, who's at the top of his game, it's difficult to expect those kind of results year over year, especially when I think he 
his overemphasis on establishing the run and trying to control the game via the run leads to these really suck out wins. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like today, if you if you were watching the game, Ritter did everything wrong, and they were lucky that the Buccaneers failed to capitalize at all. Right? Like, like every time the Bucks were in position to just run away with it, it seemed the Falcons got a lucky break their way. I mean, they were like, yeah, you know, but like, the. The stuff you said about Ritter doing stuff wrong, he fumbled twice at the goal line, yeah. once out of the out of bounds, out of the end zone for a touchback, once like uh, just fumbled a snap. Both were turnovers. I mean, th- that stuff's not on Arthur Smith. Like, I mean, yeah. they, they that, that I think that's an argument they could have won by more than three today, right? But yeah. you just mentioned that Titans. I just looked it up. AJ Brown was a rookie in uh, Arthur Smith's first year, and that was when we had to wait until like week ten, even though AJ Brown was like his first career game. He had a hundred yard game on twenty five snaps. I remember that, yeah. And then he had 94 yards and two touchdowns a couple weeks later on 26 snaps. And then, like, we had to wait until, like, week 10 for him to actually play in full. And then I think he was wide receiver two over the fast the, the, the final, like, six games that year. It was, was, yeah, it was nuts. Another great example. Of, I, I It wasn't until you said that I went and looked at it that I realized, that oh, man, he was there. He was the OC for A.J. Brown's rookie year. Another great example of him not using his talent. I mean, it's, it's just like – and may, I don't know. Maybe Bijan isn't isn't ready. Maybe Bijan had a really bad headache. I don't. I but I. This is a continuous thing with Arthur Smith. That's the other thing about the Belichick comparison, where Belichick was similarly grumpy, but Belichick built schemes around his talent at all times in his career. When they got Randy Moss and Wes Welker, they built the passing game around Randy Moss vertical, Wes Welker underneath. Then when they got Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, they built a two tight end for. I mean, a whole different thing, right? Master of schemes. Guy understood how to deploy tons of different personnel. And would always build around the talent that he had at a given time. Different run, uh, you know, run heavy offenses at different times throughout Belichick's career as well. It's a very, like a very consistent thing about him was that he used talent correctly and on defense too. Would always build schemes around their defensive talent where they had, you know, whether it was the secondary defensive line, whatever. And he would always have these great defensive game plans and, and different schemes. And Arthur Smith, it's so clear, has one scheme and wants everybody. You know what I mean? Like he just wants everything to fit into to what he wants them to be. He is loving using Jonu Smith. Like, he lined him up out wide and ran him on a slant. Like, he had Jonu Smith back in Tennessee and got a lot out of Jonu Smith yeah. in Tennessee. He just freaking loves this big tight end. And he doesn't clearly love this other big, you know, athletic tight end, Kyle Pitts, that, you know, maybe he's more of a wide receiver, but he doesn't find ways to use him. Jonu Smith, more traditional tight end. God, you know, he just freaking loves having him back in the fold. Did you, did you catch that Pitts catch today? Like, the one where he went behind yeah. the back? Like he had it's, another, yeah, it's, I, it's, I mean, he's made multiple really good plays all, all year. He had a, that was a really nice catch. He had one like way back in week one double coverage. He had another one that was a, a low crappy throw today that he scooped up off the turf. Yeah, and ended up not being able to corral it. It went incomplete. But it, sh- I mean, he probably shouldn't even got his hands under it. Like he's a very smooth receiver of the football. This is the part that tilts me the most about the Arthur Smith stuff, and I and I keep carrying on about it. I know we got other topics to hit on, but it's that the players like. I feel like deserve better. Now, again, this is not a take that really fits the Bijan Robinson stuff from today after Bijan came out and defended Arthur Smith's decisions after the game. So I do have to kind of back off on that a little bit. But the stuff on like the pits and everything, like Pitts gets so much crap as a bust and he's crappy and he sucks all over social media. These guys search their names. They have to read this stuff. This guy's a 22-year-old youngster who has to read all the stuff about how terrible he is, and he's actually really fucking good. Excuse me, we yeah. can't say that on, on Road of His Radio. Nah, he's good. very good. 
we're doing we're doing the live stream here. I think about ship chasing right now. But he's really talented. He makes an incredible catch today, but he doesn't get to show off his talent. And that's frustrating for me as a fan. I can't imagine what it's like for Kyle Pitts as a human being who works his butt off, gets himself ready. And if you listen to that dude in any in interviews and stuff, he's super humble. Like I, I, I had someone else in my mentions today being like, I can't believe we haven't had any of these guys um, like calling him out publicly. But I think Pitts, London, Bijan, they're all on their first cr- contracts. They're all young dudes. And everything I've heard from all of them as well is they're all very well-spoken, like very humble dudes, like grounded. They just want to work and earn their coaches' respect. Like a lot of players do. Not every player is out there to call people out. They're like I'm not going to. I'm not going to call out my head coach. Like I would just never do that. But they've also like throughout their careers been able in high school and college and stuff, been able to work hard and have their talent show enough that their coaches are going to use them. This is the first point in their lives probably where no matter how hard they work, their their coach is like not interested in actually featuring them. And it's not, it's not even just today with Bijan. Like it's been that way from, for most of the season, they haven't used him as much and, and as effectively as they probably could. And it's, I mean, a, a huge part of it is Arthur Smith wants, I mean, Pete Overs had, had the best tweet today where he was like, he's like a GPP player that wants to, you know, wants to nail uh, the the sleepers. And, and yeah, I'm not, I'm going to gal brain off of the chalk and I'm going to play Scotty Miller and Johnny Smith and, and Cordero Patterson instead of the chalk, uh, B. John Robinson and, and Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And like, that's exactly, like he, he, he wants somebody to pat him on the back and be like, dude, you nailed it. You you nailed it. Your your scheme was so good. You are the man. Wow, you crushed it this week. It's like it's that's not how you win in the NFL. You you need talented players. It, I think the lack of veteran, like like veteran non Arthur Smith hires and the offense is probably what's preventing you know some of these second and third year players being able to publicly call them out of that makes sense, right? Like you said, like everyone who's like uh, an offensive star, like a star on offense in Atlanta, is on their first contract. Like, like what can like what can they do? Yeah, right? not, like these people aren't calling people out first. Like rookies in their first contracts rarely are ever doing that. You know, it's uh, you know what's really funny is like the NFL is promoting. Like, I mean, if you were watching Red Zone, couldn't go a minute today without hearing National Tight End Day, right? <laughs> and if you pull up like 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 the like the National Tight End Day tweet on NF on the NFL Twitter. It, it, it features Kyle Pitts, right? It features Kyle Pitts. Like the NFL itself believes Kyle Pitts to be a star of the position. And meanwhile, you got Arthur Smith who's galbraining himself into Michael Pruitt. You know, like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just so frustrating watching this. Like, like I think, I think. Uh, well, the really funny thing is Kyle Pitts isn't even a tight end. I mean, he doesn't yeah. play in line. Like he plays in on like a fifth of his snaps. He's pass blocked, yeah. I think on one snap going into this week. Uh, on the season he's passed blocked of of the like 24 or whatever tight ends that had run x amount of routes when i looked at this the other day like that was dead last and john smith was like fifth out of the 24 because he's actually playing tight end and so they keep him in the pass block some they're playing different positions yeah and <laughs> yeah. it's because that explains but, but why arthur smith doesn't like him i guess yeah he's like he's just another receiver you know and like yeah. john is his guy fits his profile he can block. He can be in there in the power formations. Pat Crane did great work this offseason on tight ends where he did some research on how run blocking rates correlate to red zone target rate where they're in there on the run plays. The offense wants to then show that same play on play action passing and then <coughs> they get t- higher touchdown rates essentially because they're these tight ends that are in their pass blocking. Uh, Pitts is a great example. I was watching a lot today. You don't see Pitts on the field. 
in the red zone, which is great. I mean, you know, just a size, speed, athletic freak. <laughs> you wouldn't want him in, in small space, uh, you know. To no, create. not at all. No way to use him. But who we can use is John Smith, who's this traditional tight end that he loves. That he is in all the running packages that he has, and then when he wants to do a, a pass out of those packages, good old John Smith will be there for him. Sometimes if you're lucky, you can see Kyle Pitts blocking 25 yards downfield for Tyler Algier. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like seeing a it's seeing a it's blue moon. It's, it's so frustrating. Uh, but we can we can move on to actually another tight end um, who was drafted in the first. Uh, Dalton Kincaid uh, had a bit of a mini breakout today. He caught all eight of his targets for 75 yards in the Bills' Week Seven loss to the Patriots. Uh, he's came he came on strong after missing Week Six because of a concussion, uh, but he's still ceding a little bit of work here to Dawson Knox. But I think that's. In my opinion, I think that's pretty much drawing drawing to a close. Ben, I wanted to get your take here on Kincaid, where you might think he's gonna like like his usage going forward after this, and just sort of where you're gonna rank him rest of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's one I want to see like the routes on and dig into the numbers, and I'll be doing all that for stealing signals tomorrow. Knox caught a touchdown in this game, lost it to offensive pass interference. He's gotten a lot of targets in close this year. I don't actually ever really like end up look, digging into like red zone targets, but Knox has caught some short TDs and gotten others. And he's gotten a couple that have been negated by penalty, like the TD today to uh, an offensive pass interference. That was uh, like a pick play. Uh, but they do like to use Knox in close is my point. This is not really a Pitts John thing in my mind. They do do a lot of, two tight end sets, but like they're both playing tight end. I mean, Kincaid is playing a lot of slot and we've talked about that, but I do think like they, these guys steal for, I I thought going into the year, they might be playing like pretty different positions. They do steal from each other a little bit. Their routes. If you look at their game by game, like route percentages, they've worked inverse of each other. Like when Kincaid got banged up, the Knox spiked. And when, when Kincaid earlier spiked, Knox fell off. And so they are kind of, um, there is some push and pull here. Like the, the points with Pitts and Johnny were like, these guys' routes are both like 75% of dropbacks consistently. They're not like, you know, working against each other because they're playing different positions, like legit. Oh, AJ Brown touchdown. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, watching, yeah. Watching the game while I'm chatting about uh, Don Kincaid. But no, um, the, the, the red zone stuff is key for me because Dawson Knox has been play, playing in there a lot. I want to dig into that a little bit more. I want to dig into his usage a little bit more. But no, like you said, I mean, it felt like a little bit of a mini breakout today. He gets the eight targets. It wasn't a game where Josh Allen threw 41 times. Diggs had 12 targets. You can think about target share, not necessarily. I mean, it's basically a slightly under 20% target share, right? Like eight targets on 41 pass attempts. It's not quite as exciting from that perspective. Very efficient, which we like. But also, like, when you think about a breakout, if he catches all eight of his targets for 75 yards, it's not going to do that every single week, obviously. We know that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in on him. I'm still a little bit concerned, I, I would say, in terms of, like, where I would rank him rest of season. I'm not, like, I'm not, like, convinced that he's going to be a breakout the rest of the way or anything like that. I, I am still concerned about the way that their offense is structured and their passing game is structured where they have multiple weapons other than digs. Gabe Davis very quiet today. He's been, you know, okay, and he's going to be involved still some weeks. If Knox is catching some TDs some weeks, Kincaid's like a part of that mix for the number two behind a very dominant digs in what feels like, I mean, it's a, a kind of spread passing game behind digs is sort of the way that I, I view it. Yeah, it's 
the one thing that I, that I did want to get your take on, probably more so from a dynasty lens, I think 12, I think I think Kincaid just turned 24. Meanwhile, you've got physical freaks like Laporta and Mayer and Musgrave. Like these guys are just sort of getting it done. Like they've broken out earlier and more like in like over a more sustained like longer period. I think like I, it's almost like Mayor Mayor maybe not, but like they are trying to prioritize you know throwing to the tight ends more down in down in Vegas. But like when if you were to go back and like think about you know one the NFL draft itself. Like, how much better of a fit do you think Laporta is for this Bills team? And then, two, like, where would you, like, in dynasty drafts, who are you taking earlier, like, out of out of Laporta versus Kincaid? I, <clears throat> pretty sure I was taking. Well, I don't know. Look, Kincaid got up there in dynasty drafts. I know by um, redraft season, I I was ranking Laporta ahead of Kincaid. Yeah. Straight up, which he was going multiple rounds later. I had a couple teams where I decided I would take a swing on Kincaid. When he got cheap, and then still took Laporta a couple of rounds later, I had that combo and on two different teams, um, which was nice because then you know you have both breakout weapons and or options, and then Laporta is the one that broke out. Um, but I took Kincaid higher, even though I had Laporta ranked higher and as a target because I kind of intentionally was like, well, I'm gonna take them both. In terms of like where I'm ranking them or or like what I'm, th- I mean, Laporta is just like what he's doing is. I guess that's part of why I'm a little bit concerned or, or, or like hesitant to be super excited about Kincaid. What Laporte is doing is very unique, and I think it's very legit, and I think it's going to continue. But we also have to keep in mind that like rookie tight ends don't do what Laporte is doing often, and it's very plausible that he's going to be the only one this year that does anything even resembling this. Right? I do think, um, like, I really like what we've been seeing from Michael Mayer the last couple of weeks today. A little bit of a step back. But you had Brian Hoyer in there, and you knew it was going to be a game where he was just going to pepper Devontae Adams after all the comments this week, and that's kind of what we got. I do think Mayer is an interesting one in a more consolidated passing game going forward that he could do some you know, some interesting stuff. Kincaid certainly could. Musgrave could, as you mentioned. Um, but Laporta, to me, is just uh, a clear cut above those guys. And, I mean, I think in terms of, like, dynasty, like dynasty going forward, like, Laporta's Sean uh, on uh, Stephen Bananas recently said probably his dynasty tight end one right now, which I'm inclined to just you know believe and, and, and tail him on that. The other guys, as you said, like you talk about the ages and stuff too. Mayer's younger at least, but Kincaid, Musgrave, a little bit older. Um, think about those guys as as they're like. I think about them as they're they're still like you know they're, they're they get the boost from being young and being rookies, but they're still like not even necessarily clear top five dynasty tight ends. I don't know if that's, you know, I don't, I haven't really sat and done dynasty rankings. I don't, where, where would I rank Kelsey? I don't know. You know, like Kittle, Waller. There's a lot of these dudes that are aging. Goddard, um, Hawkinson. I don't really know where I would rank all these tight ends, but relative to the young guys, but they, I like, we don't know they're good is my point. We do know that Laporte is good. I feel like this is going to wind up being a really good tight end class. They all look pretty strong. Right. But, the other ones might not have anywhere close to the production that uh, Laporta has has you know sustained already. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, uh, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Laporta's clearly several tiers above the other guys. I think when I'm looking at this game from Kincaid, I'm wondering if this game acts as a turning point in Buffalo's season where, where Knox really takes a step back and you kind of start to see this second half breakout from <clears throat> from Kincaid. Um you're battling the the voice loss. I'm, it's not the long guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm barely hanging on here. So take That's over. Right. I'm, I'm very wordy. I could definitely throw a lot of words out there. Um and, and help help you help your voice. <laughs> the, I, I like that uh that take. I would love to believe that. I do think um, you know, we we certainly want that to happen with a lot of the young players think it should happen more often than it does where some of these offenses should be willing and teams should be willing to, t- to turn to their young players as like a spark as a uh, a shift they, there's just so much veteran deference around the league right and it, the bills in particular the last couple of games have looked bad they just lost to the patriots today right like this is not um they barely beat the giants last week and they lost to Jacksonville in London the week prior to that. Like they're in um a little bit of a funk right now. So in terms in terms of that idea, like probably more so than any other team, they're at a point in their season where they should be willing to consider like this type of a shift that you just described. Whether they'll actually do it, I'm always a little bit skeptical because like we sometimes want it to happen more than the coaches. They like Dawson Knox too. He's a big part of their team. You get the stuff where it's like Josh Allen likes Dawson Knox personally, probably. Like these guys seem like they're yeah. their buds. You know, it's just like, it, like, how does that influence things? It's going to influence things. So, um, ideally, we get to see plenty of Kincaid. Like I said, I'm interested to dig into the routes. The fact that Knox is still getting used in the red zone, it would suck if Kincaid's ceiling is like a 20% target share without touchdown equity. You know, yeah. I mean, that would like this game. He had 20% target share, and Knox is the one who caught the TD that got you know called back by the OPI. If that's if that's the role, like, and then there's going to be down games too, right? Like that's the ceiling role, then that's not that exciting. No, it's it's especially not when you know on National Tight End Day we had we had like Kelsey just go absolutely ham. We had Mark Andrews go absolutely ham, right? And those guys were going in premium prices anyway. But even Waller went off today. You know what I mean? Like, and like Waller was going in a similar ish range to Kincaid. 
like you know like at like at that point if that's kind of like you're saying like your ceiling that like what are you it's fine if you find him on like i've been in some shallowish leagues where he's actually on waivers right now so like i'm not too worried but i've been rolling with cow pits for example right like i'm mm-hmm. not dropping like i'm not in any rush to drop pits freaking kid if that's like what people are thinking or like looking to really stream but like you know again like, like to your point it's just not a particularly exciting role to have especially because it's not He's not making a difference for you at the at the at the DE spot. He's a really good filler in right, but you but like if you're spending that, what, where was he going? Like the eighth ninth round, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're spending that kind of premium pick, like you're missing out on all of the, you're missing out on all of the breakouts and all the good quarterbacks and everything. So like I don't know how you make up that ground now. Yeah, in hindsight, it doesn't look great. I mean, you're kind of you're either just playing him, like you said, yeah. or, or you're. In some leagues, like I said, like where I have like Kincaid and Laporte, I'm just sitting him on my bench until like you know we see what happens. Um, I'd prefer to not be playing him every week, is I guess the the short answer to everything else I just said. Even though he just had an eight catch game, at the same time that could change quickly. I mean that could change quickly with the routes and the stuff like Blair just described. They could be at a juncture right now where like we start to see that really establish and knocks kind of go away, and that would be exciting. We would have to jump on that quick. I mean, you know, you'd want to be on that quick. Um, Speaking of guys where we might be on a juncture, we could talk about Kincaid for a long time, but I want to move on to the guy I've been kind of surprisingly high on. Josh Downs caught five of six targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. Is this the turning point for Downs where he becomes Colts wide receiver one? (laughs) We had a fun chat in our co-managed team where – yeah, you said he was going to be the the Colts wide receiver one. I was like, Blair, I mean, I love you, man, but like – He's a, like a 5'9 slot receiver, and they've had Michael Pittman, like this entrenched wide receiver one. It was like right after Down's first good game, and it's like, that doesn't mean that he's going to be their wide receiver one next week. Like, that's a little a little ahead of the game. And not next week, a few weeks later. A few weeks later, though. Yeah, <laughs> now we're here. We're here, right? Um, I Like, yeah, he had a great game today. Had the long touchdown early. Continued to make some, some big plays and big moments. <laughs> really exciting game today between the Browns and Colts. Watson goes out early. PJ Walker plays for the Browns. Uh, you get Gardner Minshew on the other side, and you get a 39-38 game in a season where, I mean, we're lucky to get 39 or 38 total points in most of the other games. So it was quite exciting, uh, a back-and-forth affair, the the whole the whole deal late um, with the Browns able to score and, and win uh, with, like, 15 seconds left. You know, Kareem Hunt scores on fourth down, that bad, bad P.I. call late. But um, great game, regardless. But anyway, Downs winds up uh, 125 yards TD, like you said. The TD was a 59-yard TD. Kind of gets forgotten about by the defense, gets wide open, catches a pass, takes off. Not really the most exciting play in the world. I would say the other four catches for, what is it, 66 yards, if I'm doing my math correctly, were, like, more exciting even. Well, I mean, not more exciting. The 59-yard TD was very exciting. It was sweet to watch that. I haven't been a main event starting lineup, so I was like, yeah. Sweet, that hit right away. Um, but the other catches were, you know, consistently a part of the offense, moving the ball, moving the chains, uh, at least one key third down, I want to say, and if not a fourth down. I mean, like a big spot, uh, you know, a couple big spots where Minshew went to him. Minshew is a low dot passer. Yeah. Through 23 passes in today's game. They ran 40 times. Like Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss both got 18 carries. But – Minshew uh, will th- have games where he throws a lot, I think. Like, Steichen likes to play 
up tempo. It's tough to do against the Browns, right? It's tough to have like a, a really aggressive passing attacking. I think Steichen's a really good coach. Like this is a great example of it. He yeah. gets a 300 yard passing game out of Minshew on 23 attempts while running heavily against a no, no quarterback against the Browns this year has done anything. They made, I mean, Burroughs looked bad at times, but they made Burrow look horrible. They made Purdy look horrible. Everyone was questioning whether, you know, the Purdy hype was bad. Everyone who's played the Browns has had a really hard time. Obviously, their pass rush is incredible, but their, their defense in general is is very, very good. And Gardner Minshew is the quarterback that ends up looking leaps and bounds ahead of all of those guys by comparison. And again, you know, hats off to, to Steichen for that. But Downs really fits with Minshew well. Low A dot guy, chain mover. He was a great slot receiver in college, very productive in that role. I was impressed by a little bit of the after the catch stuff. Like he caught a slant today and like kind of ran through an arm tackle. Like he's a small dude, but he's like he played like kind of physically after the catch today that I thought was cool. But no, yeah, I mean, I think this is he, I, I think long surpassed Alec Pierce as the number two, and he continues to establish that. And I think what you're looking at is like the potential in this offense. They're going to play with pace. Like Steichen's smart. They're going to have games where Minshew throws 40 passes. The potential for Downs to be sort of the other guy with Pittman, and you know maybe on par with Pittman. You know maybe ahead of Pittman. If you're if you're doing Blair's rankings, he did have one more target today. Uh, Pittman had the long 75 yard TD late that was pretty impressive in his own right, but he only had two catches on the game. Downs though, uh, I, I think. I mean. You, you got to think going forward, like he's the, the other guy with Pittman. I think he's clearly established himself. He's a hit. He's a rookie hit. He's a guy pre-draft before we knew landing spot and all that stuff. When we were doing like pre-draft rookie drafts, we're taking him like late first, one, two turn. He looked and then he fell a little bit because he fell a little in the real draft and didn't necessarily have the right fit with Anthony Richardson and everything. But a guy whose profile just purely, you know, pre-draft had him as a potential one, two turn, maybe wide receiver five in the class like definitely definitely not top tier but um not far down behind it and it's i just think it's clear like he's a hit right like this is what we see from rookie hits they produce like this and um the fit now with Minshew is really strong and yeah i mean he's a guy you want to be buying for sure uh Pittman's final stat line five targets two catches 83 yards and a score is really deceiving because like 75 yards came on one catch Right, like it was that long catch and run. Um, another good point here from from Joe Joe King. JT finally had a good game. Yeah, that's like, and it goes back to your point about like this offense being really well run, right? Like it's like the almost the antithesis of what Arthur Schmidt is doing, right? The fact that the fact that are running. I mean, we know we know JT is talented, right? We know that he's talented, but the fact that they got this much going against a ridiculously good run defense. Yeah, he rushed eighteen times for seventy five yards and a score. Three catches for 45 yards. Moss was also productive, right? Like the fact that they were able to do all of this with no Anthony Richardson, you know, is just it's it, it kind of boggles the mind, right? Because like you would consider Minshew to be like not even anywhere near Purdy's caliber, and yet they kind of outplayed them, right? Like in in a sense, right? Like yeah, so- which I think you got to give a lot of credit to Steichen in the, in the design, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm right there with you, like. Minshew's, yeah, not in that caliber, not in the caliber of a lot of the other guys. And to your point on on Taylor, I wrote last week in Stealing Signals, Taylor had one big play, 40-yard reception. He otherwise – he had five catches for 46 yards. So he otherwise had four receptions for six yards, and he had eight carries for 19 yards. He otherwise did nothing. He had 12 yeah. catches for 25 yards. That 40-yard play was a play up the sideline, and I wrote some signals. He didn't even look particularly explosive on that play, which was concerning to me because I have a lot of Jonathan Taylor bags. And I'm 
a huge Jonathan Taylor fan. I put in my notes for Stealing Signals. We'll write it up tomorrow. I felt like JT looked much better in this game. This I'm, is the I, first you know, time you look back, right? Right. Yep. That's what it felt like to me for sure. To, to your point, um, his touchdown run, he navigated like a tight little window really well. Looked like his like low, powerful, explosive, like unstoppable yeah. almost. He didn't have any like massive plays today where we saw him really like turn the Jets on. But he had like a twenty, he had a twenty-four yard run, long twenty-yard reception, and he was like, when he got into space. He was he was legit. He looked that good. that that reception. Oh, long Tyreek Hill bomb. Um, there was a, there was that reception that he had where he had two defenders draped on top of him, and he was still powering through to get to that twenty yards. I remember right. that very clearly. Yeah. That was like like like, and that's where you're seeing like, oh yeah, this injury he had was bad. He's getting back. To 100% speed. The difference is, is that like Jonathan Taylor at 100% is like other running backs at like 170%. You know, like he's yeah. just that good. It's well, and, especially, and that's the thing. Like Moss has been very productive in this backfield, but he's never yeah. looked special either. And to your no. point, like when Anthony Richardson was under center, that's opening up a lot. Like the design oh, run, all of that was creating like some of Zach Moss's long runs. When you watch the highlights, you're like, man, like, you know, people joke <laughs> I could run through that, but and, and that's not the the case, but like I do think basically any NFL running back could run through yeah. some of these things that Zach Moss is running through. He's been good. I want, to, I want to give him credit, but like Taylor still clearly has another gear. And in this game, you saw the, the difference in talent as yeah. well. Because Moss still was productive, like you said, but he never at any point in this game looked like yeah. you could tell which running backs in the game at all points. Like that, oh, that's not Jonathan Taylor anymore. That's the other guy who's not nearly as explosive. Yeah, whereas last week you still had a little bit like Moss certainly looked like he had more explosiveness, which is weird. But like today, you know, like when every time I saw it, like last week, it was every time I thought it was like Jonathan Taylor doing something it was Zach Moss, and yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Man, oh great. Weird. And then and then we, today was like when you actually saw the running back, you're like, okay, this is definitely JT. Like this is like yeah, it made like, more sense. Like, your brain. Yeah, <laughs> like he's just he just it's, it's like it's like he's fight like. Like just 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 that catch and run that he had that like that long catch and run was where I was just like all right yeah he's fully back because like you don't you don't do that against you know I mean a team that's as strong as a bronze um, on defense which is I mean it's saying something because man I feel kind of bad for them because on, on offense the bronze have been really bad but like his defense has more than kept them in games it single handedly won them a bunch of them um, speaking of uh, I, I wanted to actually. Head on over to to someone who we were discussing on our on our ME team, uh, Jackson Smith Nijigba got four or seven targets for 63 yards and a score today after DK Metcalf was you know declared out. You know we've been still waiting for this and it was kind of a semi breakout, but I wanted to get your thoughts here, Ben. Like you know like this was a different ish role here for um for for JSN and I, I you know I'm curious. Do you think he's going to go back to that low A dot role once DKM comes back? Or do you think the team, you know, because today he outproduced Tyler Lockett, do you think the team's going to try and like mothball Lockett here? I don't think it's mothballing Lockett. I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that they could use all three receivers, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, 24 pass attempts is all we got out of Seattle in this game. So Jack, uh, JSN, seven targets, led the team, um, you know, well over. 25%. I don't know what that target share is. Probably 28, 29%, 7 out of 24. Somebody who's good at mental math, do it real quick. 8 out of 24 would be 33%. I know that. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> 6 out of 24 would be 25%. So it's in between. 
those two numbers. Anyway, high 20s. Um, got a ton of, got a, like, that's a strong target share. It's just a, it's a low volume. That's why we look at target share, right? Like they only throw 28, 24 passes in a pretty comfortable win against the Cardinals and in a game where they establish Kenneth Walker. You know, they run the ball 26 times. They're leading that. Seattle's going to do that against Arizona. Like that's just going to happen. Um, but in terms of the eight up stuff, no, I think that's like, I, I've, I was trying to preach patience, patience as much as possible in the first four weeks. You knew they had a week five bye. He broke his wrist in August. He was playing with a wrap on his wrist all the way through week four. I was watching for that. You could still see it in week four. I have not seen it the last two weeks. I'm not hundred percent certain. You can't always tell, but like, I know he was still wearing it in week four. Um, and so the low eight out stuff was concerning, but also it's like, this guy's not necessarily fully ready. And maybe they're not really ready to, like we're talking about with some of the other, Ways that coaches view veterans, all those things. Maybe they're not ready to turn him loose yet when he's still got a wrap on his wrist, right? Like, that's not that crazy. They come out of week five and week six in Cincinnati. He has a decent game. The ADOT goes up. And they had that play where he ran a leak and he's wide open. He came he came across the field and he's going up the other sideline, wide open. Gino's in a clean pocket for whatever reason, does not release it. Ends up scrambling for a 10-yard gain. Should have been about a 30-yard touchdown. They end up having to kick a field goal, I think, on that drive. Or they didn't score a TD. And they highlighted it after the game in the media availability. And uh, I think on Monday morning, Pete Carroll in his interview was saying, yeah, we had to have that one. We had it in our back pocket. We were waiting to, to run that exact play, which is a positive because it was, you know, it was JSN running around down the field. That was a, a key play in their play, in their game plan. They were excited to go for the shot play at a certain point. And it didn't hit. And then this week you have DK Metcalf. I kind of feel like part of the reason the reporting we got on Metcalf, which is the same injury he played through last week, some of the reporting was early on was like, hey, we might hold him out this week. It's probably because it's not been getting better and they want him to get better. But I also kind of feel like it was that Seattle wanted to get JSN going in a game they thought they could win anyway against Arizona. They tried to get him going last week. Like I said, they missed that one big play. Still has a decent game. But then this week, early in the game, they get into like that shot area and they do the same thing. They're not the same. It wasn't a leak play, but they they do a, a downfield shot play to JSN where they get him wide open in the middle of the field. And I think pretty clearly we're like trying to get the ball to him. They get him an early touchdown. He has some other big plays. <clears throat> you wrote in the in the notes that you sent over to me, Asan, that he had a drop on, on a late third down. I felt like, you know, there was some contact with the defender on that play, a little bit outstretched. Kind of a, you know, he got his hands on it, but kind of a tough yeah. play. But they, they they were going to him in some key spots for sure. Um, I think that the high eight out stuff is here to stay. Now that the, the wrist is probably healed through the bye week. It's been here the last two games. And the point I was making with the leak thing, his eight out rose in week five. It didn't rise as yeah. much as it would have if they would have went after that play. His production would have been higher and his eight out would have been higher because it was a downfield look. His ADOT, I think, today will also be higher. They've basically not done any of the behind the, the line of scrimmage stuff since the bye, these two games coming out of the bye. He's now just, like, running legit receiver routes. I don't know what his route share is in this game. I'm sure it's very high. Um, last week it was on par with DK and Lockett. They were all at 81%. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to see going forward. It was like all three of these guys playing 80% or running routes on 80% plus of the dropbacks. Whereas JSN in the first four games was at like 65%. So now we're up 15 percentage points or something like that. And you're going to get these downfield looks. You're going to get him worked in. Um, he he looked really hyped as, to, as well. Like you see his body language. I mean, it just, it, it seemed like to me, reading the tea leaves, reading Pete Carroll talking about him in the press conferences all week, reading JSN's body language during the games, 
They've been talking about how he wants to get going. It seems like it's an internal thing with the team, with JSN, with all of it, that like they want to get him going. He wants to get going, and it's going to happen. Like He's their first-round pick. They all know that he's very talented. I mean, I just, yeah. Whether this is the breakout game or it's been a little bit of a breakout few weeks or whatever, like we're on an upward trajectory. We just talked about A.J. Brown's rookie season a little bit ago. He was producing early but they weren't really giving him the full routes. It was so annoying. He was like sticking around like 40% routes for the first month. Then he was at like 60% and he finally got over 80% like week nine. And from then on, he was a star. I'm not saying JSN is going to go on to do what AJ Brown did late in his rookie season, but I do think we're on that same sort of upward trajectory. We've seen Blair, you've done incredible work over the years showing how rookies produce more late in the year. We know that this is a thing that happens. It makes perfect sense with JSN with the broken wrist and the early buy that they were just kind of doing all this. And now, the two weeks since the bye have been nothing but positive. They've been nothing but like, yeah, we were on that trajectory. He's going to be better the rest of the way than he's been to this point and potentially way better, potentially league winning better because that's the profile. Yeah, that's uh, – man, just remembering that A.J. Brown rookie year was the 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 Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys. I don't know. You you weren't playing much best, best ball back then. It was back uh, during the draft days, but uh, there was a pretty popular refrain of, uh, AJ Brown shouldn't be drafted because of Adam Humphreys and Corey Davis, and that didn't really work out. <laughs> it's just, it's just so terrible in hindsight. Like I think, like the first game where you saw AJ Brown, just like he calls over the defender and stiff arms him into the dirt. The Browns guy, whoever his name is, RIP. Like I think that was where like yeah. people realized. AJ yeah, I mean, pre. Uh, you're right. I wasn't playing a ton of best ball back then. We, we yeah. I think, did a couple drafts together. We used to talk about that. Um, MFL tens, yeah, back in the day. I uh, I couldn't do them. I couldn't do them in my state, but I was playing dynasty for sure. And I remember AJ yeah. Brown was pre-draft, you know, wide receiver two, and then he lands with Tennessee, and then all of a sudden, like, or like one oh two pre-draft, yeah. and then he lands with Tennessee, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh well, you know, yeah, we just can't. Get we're gonna I, you, you can draft him like. 9, 10, 11, 12 yeah. every rookie draft. I have a ton of A.J. Brown still to this day in Dynasty. It's kind of nice, actually, in hindsight. Yeah, it's like, like, everybody like, just let you draft them at 10. It was, yeah, it was different with it, with JSN. I mean, like, realistically, in a perfect world, we'd see him play that, like, at flanker position full-time, right? Like, it would be nice to have him, like, in that flanker position. And what is it? I, I don't know ball, but it's that's the Y, right? Like, he could be playing the Y where DK am playing the X. I don't know right, the, like, the people. I don't. I don't know the numbers either. It, it the film bros are gonna come come for me for that one. But the last time, the last it's time, the, it's the K actually. The song they're playing. The K, that's the one. That's the one. The film. The film for the, the film bros are, are gonna absolutely light light me up. Which is you know it's totally fair. Um, but yeah, it's that's. What's I mean, not, they don't. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're just repeating stuff that they heard other people say. Like. I know these. Anyway, go ahead. Oh no! The, uh, just as just an aside, it, it does remind me because we are talking AJ Brown. It does remind me of this one guy from Film Twitter. I got into a fight with him years ago, and he was telling me, telling me it was DKM was better than than AJ Brown, and whoever that third wide receiver on that Ole Miss team was, whatever his name was, is better than AJ Brown. There was like a third wide receiver who Elijah was a fifth year senior. No, there was a fifth year senior who declared the same time as DKM and AJ Brown. And he tried to tell me that that guy was also better than AJ Brown. Was it Daryl like, Hodge? No, I'm gonna now. This is gonna kill me, so I'm gonna have to look it up. I apologize. Wait, guys. I thought Daryl Hodge. Well, Dawson Knox was there too, right? Um, and now I'm gonna. I need to look up the 2018 Ole Miss. So I apologize, 2018 guys. 2018 Ole Miss. I'm confusing him with someone else, maybe. Demarcus uh, Lodge. 
You, that's you the one. Yeah. Lodge, Demarcus yeah. Lodge. That's that's Demarcus Lodge yeah. is the one. Where like a guy from Film Twitter was trying to convince me, and I was like, "Man, that was that's a tough look." They also that's had to, they look. also had Dawson Knox though. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's but a, that's a Demarcus Lodge better than AJ Brown is a tough take to walk back. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, you're that's, never living that down. You're never winning that. But one. you don't know ball. Hassan, because you don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, uh, not from this country. I definitely don't know ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's my go-to excuse. Um, speaking of uh, rookie wide receivers, though, let's just stay on this topic. Rashi Rice. I mean, Evan Silva was pounding the, uh, the the table for it, streaming. It's Rashi Rice time. You know, he caught five or six targets today for sixty yards and a score. He had this phenomenal like thirty-seven yard reception to set up his like Travis Kelsey touchdown. You know, Rice has seen his uh, involvement in the offense sort of. Increase all season, he's seeing you know about five or so targets. In your opinion, is he like a locked and loaded, startable wide receiver WR three going forward, or uh, you know is he more of like matchup dependent play? Because like today, like I was talking to like I like in hindsight, I regret not just like carpet bombing all the KC Chiefs receiving overs because it just set up really nicely that way. I did have a Rashi Rice over longest 17 and a half reception that that hit immediately. But like, I wanted to get your take here on Rashi Rice as a, as a player. And then also kind of where you slotting him in as a like, like rest of the season. Like, can you like trust him? Um, I'm trying to pull up his usage today. Cause I saw some tweets on it. There's people that grab this stuff quicker than I know how to grab it. Mike Clay, I know, tweeted uh, Chiefs wide receiver snaps today. He, they, he had it as MVS 45, Sky Moore 39. Those two have led in basically every game. Rasheed Rice 38, one behind Sky Moore, only seven behind MVS. Then the very next player was from 38 was all the way down Justin Ross at 15. There has not been a gap like that. So I'm kind of I'm emphasizing two things here. Rice was way higher than he's been. And there hasn't been a gap like that where we've gotten like a clear delineation. It's been like this slow waterfall down. They've used seven receivers in every freaking game. It's been kind of maddening when you're looking at it from a usage standpoint, like I do in Stealing Signals, and you're trying to figure out who's actually going to get these opportunities. Um, but Rice has been the one that, you know, since like basically week one that I've been saying is like the guy that's going to probably wind up being the most valuable Kansas City wide receiver here. Mm-hmm. And I think what we saw in, in, in week seven was that the rap for me to answer your question about when, when he can be a locked and loaded player, he's been getting the targets and everything, but it's been, he's been getting the targets per route, but it's still been a really limited number of raw targets because the routes have still been very limited. And he's, he's rocking like a 30 plus percent targets per route run. It's incredible. But if you're running so few routes that even with a 30 plus percent targets per out run, you're only getting like six targets or five targets in a lot of these games. That's where I'm like, I don't know if I can trust him every single week. And then he's very efficient on all of it because he's got Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback. The efficiency is going to be there, uh, but not for every receiver, but certainly for him. And he's looked very good. Um, but yeah, had not had more than what is it? Okay. He had one game with seven targets, but not more than more than five targets in any game until to, uh, this week today. And then the fact that he does it on a lot more routes, he's not so dependent on this like astronomical targets per route run. There's actually meat left on the bone probably here in terms of this role and this number of routes where he could actually elevate now. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think he is sort of a locked and loaded wide receiver three the rest of the way. What I had been waiting for was the usage to back up. And, and again, Blair's shown this, right? The efficiency leads to the to the increased usage. We've been expecting this to come because he's been so efficient. 
it finally came. They finally, like, because I was a little concerned that Andy Reid was just going to keep a rotation going the whole year, basically. But, and MVS has a long TD today, but I tweeted out a joke that, like, that TD was his eighth reception. He's played every game. In seven games, he has eight catches, and he's led the team in routes so far this year. This guy is averaging a catch per game. He's not even drawing volume. This guy Moore has not looked good, much as a fan of his as I've been. Rasheed Rice is like the clear answer and him getting up into, you know, I don't know what percentage those snaps are or those routes are. I see a, a tweet from JJ Zacharyson as well that mentions that Rice was third on the team in routes. So behind only MVS and Travis Kelsey, he was ahead of Sky Moore in routes. And it was clearly his season high there. I'll get my routes data later and, and write about this in student signals. But it sounds like the like that's the thing that I've wanted to see. Everything else is there for Rasheed Rice so far. And then on top of it, everything else, his ability to draw targets and his ability to be efficient on those targets. On top of it, he adds another game on those routes, drawing volume and being efficient. Five catches, 60 yards, and a TD on the six targets, as you mentioned. Incredible game. And, and, and I think clearly going forward, somebody that you can start. The only issue is the, is the wide receiver sort of rotation and whether the routes are going to be strong enough that there's like a real ceiling in some of those things. but. It feels like that's where we're at. We do have some shots fired in the chat. Rice better than Dobbs rest of season. What's your take, Ben? I think I'm in on that. <laughs> we've, we've, we've both liked Dobbs, uh, Blair, and, and chatted about that before. I I do really like Dobbs. Um, the reality is he's just not done that much. His really good, his best game so far this year was uh, the game where they got absolutely shellacked by the Lions at home. And they had like nothing as a team in the whole first half. They had like, I don't know, 30 total yards. They came out after halftime and were like ready to be competitive and and had a pretty good second half. But then Dobbs wound up with like a 7 for 70 game or whatever it was, 8 for 80. Pretty strong game, but it was all like they were down 24 points. And the Lions were just kind of sitting back. Like It was as garbage time as garbage time gets. I mean, that's a, a, a phrase that was thrown around a little bit too much. And maybe not used correctly all the time, but it was, this was like very, you know, their win percentage was very, very low. It, he was nine for 95 that game. That was his best game. He also had a five for 73 and a TD in the New Orleans game, but on 12 targets, pretty inefficient five for 70, 73 and a TD line. And, and that's sort of in the story for him is he can earn volume, but he's not particularly efficient. It's been a concern for me as a fan of his um, was okay today. Caught a TD. Also had a TD go right through his hands. Should have had two touchdowns. Yeah. It was a fourth down, a big play. It bounced right to his teammate, and J- Jaden Reed catches it for the TD. So it was actually kind of fascinating that it ended up working out, but he needed to make that play. He has not been good enough, if we're like completely honest, um, from an efficiency standpoint. He's been good enough drawing volume, and he, they continue to run him out there. So they obviously like what they're seeing in, um, in, in, uh, in practices and, and all of those things and behind closed doors and meeting rooms, all of it. They clearly like Dobbs, but um, man, it's a bummer as a fan of his to watch him earn volume and not make plays, right? Like he has had some some real issues consistently making plays. So anyway, I didn't mean to just like bash on him, but him versus Rasheed Rice, like everything I just said about Rasheed Rice, like the the ceiling, this rookie that like if he can consolidate the routes he's playing with Patrick Mahomes, like I'm a lot higher on the ceiling of for Rasheed Rice than the Dobbs right now. Yeah, also a good, good comment here in the chat. It's just, it's also a little bit about Jordan Love just not being him, right? Like, like, yes, Jaden Reed, Jaden Reed is intriguing. He's someone who Blair and I have spot started. Um, 
he's also a second round, I think a second round pick. Um, uh, but like, I'm uh, also Rishi Rice versus Jordan Addison is a little closer. I kind of like that question. I think I, I think I'm in on Jordan Addison more so. Um, I would probably trust Addison. I mean, that's another one where it's like, I mean, Addison's been nothing but efficient, so you feel good about him. Yeah. But it's, I don't want to just be about the routes because, yeah. like, we obviously care about the profile and everything else. But Addison has a really good profile too, and he ran 100 percent of the routes last week. And as long as Justin Jefferson's out, he's going to probably run every single route. And then oh, yeah. when Jefferson gets back, he's probably going to. It's going to be late enough into the season. He's probably going to distance over KJ Osborne. Addison's going to be a full time player the rest of the year, basically. The- and he's just as. I mean. He's not dealing with Jordan Love. Kirk Cousins isn't Patrick Mahomes, but like it's yeah, not horrible. And there's going to be a meaningful routes gap, I think, between Addison and Rasheed Rice. So I'd probably go Addison. I'm also just not that thrilled that they just kept going to KJ Osborne last week. Like they just force fed him the rock, and it was like predictable results. You know, did what they I mean? have like similar targets? I think at the end they did, but like in key in key. Passing downs, they were definitely using him more so in the first read. Uh, yeah. Although I, although although, and I, I got to double check Pat's work on the first read stuff for that. Like, I, I recall yeah, they, like, both had, they both had five targets. Uh, Hawkinson had eight, and it was a game yeah. where they only that was another low volume game. They only threw thirty one passes. Um, yeah. No, I know the the Osborne stuff's a little bit tilting because he's definitely he's just like pretty clearly not as good as Addison. He's not bad necessarily, yeah, but he's. Um, he's like he's like a fine veteran guy that you need. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like he's he's, a, he's a competent. Like I guess it reminds yeah. me of like Josh Reynolds for the Lions. Like I don't like Josh Reynolds. We don't like yeah. boring vets like that. But he's competent. Zay Jones has been very competent for the Jags. Like these guys are. I usually am hating on veterans, but there's a couple guys like that that I don't usually. Like, I don't really hate on them. Like I'm like these are these are competent good pieces of passing games. But like Jordan Addison is your. You're seeing, uh, dude. Like he's, he's made some so legit good. plays since the preseason. He looks great. Um, we can finish this off on a, the last rookie wide receiver, who somehow the only underperformer here. Quentin Johnson got one of two targets for 20 yards today. Um, you know, this isn't a performance. I mean, really, he hasn't really shown any reason why he should have been a first round pick. But I, I guess it's in a mild improvement. You know, from what he did last week. You know, like. Ben, like, like, what is your take here? Is just is Josh Palmer just that good, or is Brandon Staley just a secret donkey? Um, I don't think the take is that Josh Palmer's just that good. Although he's looked better this year, I guess you know guys can improve. I don't think he's going to be elite or anything, but I think I was a little wrong to say that his past pro, like, I was pretty out on him even when Mike Williams went down. Well, he frankly hadn't done anything prior to Mike Williams going down. But he's looked good. He's actually because my whole thing was last year he couldn't step up when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were both hurt. He had a really rough time during his stretches at wide receiver one last year. Uh, and then his like you look at his like yards per out run, targets per out run, and any of that stuff over both of his years so far, they've just been not good enough. But he's been pretty darn good over these last couple of weeks since Mike Williams went down. So I think you can uh, you know you can give him some some credit. I think I need to give him some credit. I. As soon as Mike Williams went down, said the upside only exists with Quentin Johnston. If if Josh Palmer's your guy, then it's hurting your passing game. That might still be a true statement because it's not like the Chargers passing game is really flowing when they are have you know having to use Josh Palmer as their other weapon. The the Chiefs, I think, today were pretty clearly trying to take away Keenan Allen a little bit. Herbert missed him on some yeah. stuff as well, again for the second straight week. Had him wide open in the end zone at one point, missed him. Uh, but anyway, Palmer winds up seven targets, has 133 yards, has a pretty nice game, and makes him. He's been making some decent plays. Is the point I'm trying to make. 
as far as Quentin Johnson's concerned, if you can't beat this guy who has, you know, really subpar yards per run through a couple of seasons, isn't particularly good. They drafted you in the first round because last year when their top two receivers got hurt, none of the other guys could, could step up and, and play to the level they need them to play at. So they went after a first round receiver. If you can't be beating that guy, it's probably not great on you. And I like Quentin Johnston and I, I want him to, to succeed, but I'm not I, like, maybe Staley's a donkey. I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's an argument for like, they should just be throwing Quentin Johnston out here, trying to use him more, trying to give him first read targets, trying to find ways to feature him and let him make plays because they need to develop him. Although they tried that a little bit in the preseason, the first preseason game, he played like 15 snaps and got like seven targets. It was like an absurd yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah. And he had like three drops. If you guys will remember, like everyone was all worried about his drops. That's not to say that like, I mean, drops certainly don't matter, but I do think uh, that seems to have lingered a little bit with the team and all of that stuff. You'd like to see them taking the approach that the Seahawks are taking with JSN, where they're talking about, hey, we got to get this guy going, and they're making a point to, to, to dial up plays for him and all of those things. They're not really doing a whole lot of that with Quentin Johnson. But again, maybe that's because he's just not doing enough and practicing all that to beat out Josh Palmer and to show the coaching staff enough that they are, you know, believe that he's ready to, to, to make a big impact. So it's, I mean, I think as a first round pick in a, a situation where Mike Williams is out for the year, he's not coming back later in the year or anything. You do have to expect that Johnson's going to continue to get opportunities. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we look at draft capital and that stuff is like, yeah. they're never going to just admit during his rookie season that he's a bust. Like that's not going to happen at any point this year. Even if they don't use him a lot, like they haven't for these last couple of weeks. And even if that extends for three more weeks, some point in week 10 or 11, they're going to run him out there for 75% of the routes again and throw him five or six passes and try to, get something jolted for the stretch run out of him. If it doesn't happen, then they'll try it again in week 13 or week 14 or week 15. Like at some point he is going to continue to get these opportunities. Cause he's, I had somebody ask me him or uh, Trey Palmer, who's a guy that I, I really liked and wrote about. Oh yeah. Trey Palmer's dope and he looks awesome. And he got a ton of air yards last week, but he's a day three receiver. And he could just be like Quez Watkins, who was a really good day three receiver. But when you're the day three receiver and you're the third guy on your team behind, you know, the reason I use Quez Watkins is behind A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, very similar situation being behind Mike Evans and Chris Godwin for Trey Palmer. Like you're, that might just be your rookie role. You're a day three receiver. That's good enough. The team doesn't feel the need to feature you over anyone. When you're Quinn Johnston, it's different. Like he's going to get more opportunities down the stretch. I don't know if that means you have to stash him necessarily. I mean, I think in deeper leagues, high stake stuff, like I kind of want to stash him where he gets cut. I kind of thinking about trying to scoop him up if I need some wide receiver ceiling, but in like shallower home leagues and stuff, like I'm cutting Quinn Johnson at this point. What's, I mean, it's not happening anytime soon. Right. Like I still think it might happen as the point, but it's not, it's not happening right now, obviously. How long would you give him before you, <clears throat> before you give up and even, Nice take stuff or deeper leagues. I mean, I, I think it's situation dependent. I think we're there for certain rosters. If you're if you're at a point where you need to win now, you you uh maybe have enough upside receivers. Like some of our rosters, we have like eight receivers, right? And, and yeah, that's our team. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Quentin Johnson with eight receivers. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. we have him. We have we have like every rookie, like every every receiver we've discussed. Yeah. We have on that roster. Th that's a roster where I would be fine cutting him. Like we have Marvin Mims, right? We have JSN. We have all these dudes. We, we have, have all Rasheed these Rice. Dudes. Like we got enough dudes, and the other ones are progressing. And Quentin Johnson's not. Like 
I'd be okay cutting him and, and looking for some, you know, tight end upside or uh, what's that other position? I can't remember. I don't know. Another right, quarterback, right, maybe right, a kicker yeah, or a defense. One of those other positions. Uh, I'm sure I named all the positions. That's but, all you know, like ones, yeah. something else, uh, you know, for the roster because you can't just clog your your whole team with these upside plays and he's like the fourth of them. At the same time, like I have some teams where like I need wide receiver upside. There's not enough there. There's not enough depth there. And I'm hesitant. Like you, you can't find that. That's the point. That's why we draft the way we do. You can't find that on waivers. So I'm hesitant to give up on them on those types of teams. I'd like to see at least a couple more weeks. We know that these rookies sometimes get a bump post buy, but they had a really early buy. So maybe they're just waiting a few more weeks. Maybe it, like I thought it might happen this week, like a week after the buy. It didn't. <laughs> maybe it'll happen next week. Maybe it'll happen the week after. I don't know, but um, it seems like it's fairly rare for these first round guys to to unless there's some kind of injury thing, which also is sometimes a red flag. It's pretty rare for them to take this long to even show anything to force the coaches to put them on the field, right? Um, yeah. So you know, this I isn't someone- like a. This isn't like an something. AJ Brown situation where no, it's not where they're keeping off the field despite him looking good. Right, that's right. I had somebody say to me, and I was I was trying, you know, we were talking through it, and I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe I'd keep waiting on him. I don't know. And uh, oh, this was a uh, the the Quentin Johnson Trey Palmer conversation, and the the person was it was a co manager was trying to convince me on Trey Palmer, and I I was like I would still take Quentin Johnson, but it, it's like painfully getting closer, right? And he was like. Uh, his counter on Quentin Johnson, who he basically was like, I just don't even want to see him on our bench anymore. I want to cut him was, you know, at this stage, where was Nikhil Harry and his rookie? And it's like, man, yeah, you're right. Like that, that's what it's looking like to Blair's point. It's not, we're not looking like we're on an AJ Brown trajectory. We're looking like we're on the trajectory of all the guys who never actually did anything. There's not a lot of dudes that did nothing to this stage and then had big games late. My main thing is just like, I do think he's going to get more opportunities Problem is, he doesn't look like he's actually going to take a lot of advantage of those. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, if you need to cut him, I, I think he's very cuttable, right? I think this goes back to like the ship chasing draft night pod, like on 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 night one, like really late in the evening, where we had Jared Daigle showed up. Like it was like after the pod had ended, but we were like all chatting like backstage. Uh, Daigle showed up and he mentioned that like QJ was a tough take a tough sell for him, and he was like he's a body catcher just not doesn't see like he wants to be a finesse stripe wide receiver who lacks finesse which I, it, that really stuck with me like through all of like season even, even analytics people or numbers yeah. like box score people were like he wasn't he didn't show up in some of the biggest games right like he was super quiet in the national semifinal is that right like he had yeah. or maybe he was good in the national semifinal but very quiet in the championship one of the two because they played you know, obviously they went to the the title last year. They played the two games, and and then some other games against big competition, and then he kind of like feasted on weaker competition. Like I remember, like Karain from a numbers perspective was saying sort of similar to what you were saying. With like he said he's a high upside prospect as well, but like very boom bust, very high upside, also yeah. bust elements in his profile. This guy might not actually be worth the first round pick, and that's what it looks like we're seeing, right? Like. Yeah. JSN didn't feel like that to anyone. No one you talked to or heard from. They were everyone was very confident he had at least a floor of production and ability, you know, to to excel. Even Addison, like that was kind of the discussion between Addison and Johnson. Addison felt like a higher floor guy, I think, to most anybody who did any like film or numbers research on him. People liked Addison's floor. 
think there was real concern. I mean, obviously, when you have the 6-4 frame and everything with Quinn Johnston, you can see the ceiling, and there's a lot of production there as well. But um, there's elements of his production that people were really concerned about. I always go back to this article that Max Mulitz wrote, who's now actually um, analytics director or something with the Dolphins. But um, <clears throat> it was uh, kind of trying to filter out busts based on their touchdowns per game. And it was such a strong indicator. Like anyone below basically half a touchdown per game, there are so few hits in that uh, cohort. And QJ was one of those guys. I think the only one in this class. And some other that was some below other, there. Yeah. Some other big busts. Wow. In, recently. 14, and, 14 career touchdowns, it looks like. And yeah, he, he didn't score a lot of TDs in college. For a guy that's as big as him. At, right. At and athletic as he was supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. That's a big red score, flag. You got to score touchdowns in the Big 12, buddy. This, this yeah. they do. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's just what, it's why people keep overdrafting Baylor wide receivers because all they do is score touchdowns. Yeah. But he yeah. is the inverse. He couldn't even score the touchdowns. <laughs> it's you're saying they overdrafted Baylor receivers who weren't productive at the next level because the, the production was inflated. QJ was in that same conference, but couldn't even get the inflated production. Where's yeah. the inflated production that we want at least the inflated production? For what it's worth, for what it's worth, I think QJ was uh he wasn't the only wide receiver catching flack like during draft season, also Zay Flowers, but QJ has been the only one who's like yet to show anything. Which is a real bummer, because uh, I think after just, talking to you guys, I want to update and say that I'm just ready to cut him in every league. There's like, yeah. I mean, is there really any that we're just we'd be the last people holding on? And I mean, and maybe it'll happen, but I don't think it's going to at this stage. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's it's such a bummer though, because like, man, like the situation couldn't have been any purer, right? Williams goes down. They basically drafted a guy who was supposed to be Williams 2.0 in that he'd actually continue making those big splash plays and we're not seeing it. I'm still and I'm Herbert still, is actually I mean, playing playing well this year. Like all the the environment is perfect for him to thrive. Yeah. He's actually pushing the ball downfield. I thought he should have been throwing to Eckler a little bit more in this game. Mm-hmm. And um last week as well, I know um he threw an interception on targeting QJ at the end of the game and I saw I think the ringers Benjamin Solak who who does really good uh, X's and O stuff. So I always send some really sharp tweets. He's like, I don't know how this ball doesn't go to Eckler. And you can see why, because if you watch the play again, they're clearly in man coverage and every defender goes with the receivers and clears out. And then Eckler's immediately like, he's not on a pass block. He immediately leaks through the line. And all since all the defenders clear out of the screen, if he does read that man coverage and dump it to Eckler, Eckler's got so much room to turn around and run. There's no like zone in front of him. He would have gained a ton of yardage but Herbert's so locked into pushing it downfield right now that he's like, I got man coverage downfield. I'm going into that window. Um, so I actually think he needs to be checking down a little bit more potentially. But I agree with you. Yeah, it's great to see him actually pushing it downfield, playing a little better that way. I'm willing to give QJ one more week, if only because they play against the Bears next week. And if you can't get anything going against the Bears, man, it's it's over, right? Like it's, that's 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 like that's your get right defense, and like if nothing's gonna happen there, then we're we're, we're done. We're like dust. That makes sense. I want a good there. test. Hang on one more week, and then drop him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not gonna do anything. There's not a lot of confidence here. I do yeah. think it depends on the roster. Still, I will say that, and I mentioned like even adding him back to some teams, and it's teams where I'm like, 
I need something that has the potential to hit. I do still think it's possible. Well, I mean, okay, so one of the things when we talk about his production, we're talking about his profile in college. The thing that was really negative about it was that he would disappear from games and he would like have these really low games, but then you'd have really explosive games as well. I mean, it's possible, at least theoretically possible, that he's been this quiet so far because he is sort of a I mean, like the like T. Higgins can be like that. You know, there's some dudes yeah. that can be like that. And then maybe we actually do see the 150-yard potential that he has that he showed in college as well at some point this year. And maybe he's able to sustain it over a month. Like, who knows, you know? like, But that's the really rose-colored glasses thing. If you need receiver upside, if you have some, you know, we've had some injuries, whatever, like there are – um, there are not a lot of guys that are like him. I would take Josh Downs over him. I would take any of those dudes over him, but those guys have been at it, right? Like who, where are you going? You know, where are you going to get, you're not going to find a lot of six, four first round picks who have Justin Herbert at quarterback. There's inherent upside there. Like if it does work, even though it seems like it's a non, it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's yeah, they definitely teams that need. You I mean you need the upside, and you might as well just bring it in your bench, right? Like, yeah, it's, at that point, you're like wasting nothing. Yeah, someone else, someone else already took that shot. They failed, and now it's your, now it's your time. I like this chat comment, hoping that he's this year's Christian Watson. I mean, I, that's a yeah. that's a reasonable take, right? Like Watson was banged up early last year. He makes a good point. Only QJ is not injured. Yeah, <laughs> QJ has not been producing, even despite the fact that he's healthy. But Watson had some struggles early too with drops and stuff, even when you know he was getting on the field. Maybe, right? Maybe the athleticism translates. All right. I think uh, that'll wrap it up for us. Thanks for hanging out, everyone. Thanks so much to Ben for, for uh, educating us all on <laughs> on uh, why we should drop Quentin Johnson. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you're not already subscribed, then please do that. Remember to uh, do all the YouTube things, which I forgot and always forget. And we'll talk to you next week. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible visit your local kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner kia movement that inspires call 800-333-4kia for details always drive safely limited inventory available warranties include 10-year 100,000 mile powertrain and 5-year 60,000 mile basic warranties are limited see retailer for details